I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to, you know, well, you'll see later. I stand for mayhem! I know a lot of fucking idiots. I think a lot of shit is mean-spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why Are You Laughing? A History of Comedy podcast. And today, I am pleased to introduce to you the brief rise and rapid fall of Dat Fan. So if you don't know who that is, I don't blame you. And I'll just say, we typically cover uh, legends and notable names and even the people like we did, you know, the rise and fall of Dane Cook. But everyone knows who Dane Cook is. Uh, This is a little more obscure. I do think it's significant in the history of comedy, because uh, I think last comic standing kind of had an interesting place in what they tried to do and how they failed at it in some senses. Um, So I do think this is, it it fits the category of why are you laughing? I do think it's a history lesson in comedy, but let's just say it won't be on the final exam. This is more, (laughs) if you listen to the blind Mike project, this is more of a personal uh, vendetta. So uh, a little out of the norm for a why you laughing episode, but uh, I think we'll stick to our usual, you know, utmost professionalism. So hope you guys enjoy this. Let me know in the comments what you think about it. And we could do more episodes like this because I think in the near future, uh, Vinny Paulino reached out to me about a character I had never heard of. Um, but in a small, bizarre segment of the, quote, comedy community, uh, did have an impact. So we might do an episode like that with Vinny. Um, you know, Vince Champ is a name that's been thrown out to me before. So if you like these kind of more obscure, interesting characters, let me know. And, uh, we will definitely do more of them in the future. But, uh, I also suggest go listen to the blind Mike project and see, uh, why we're focusing on that fan a little bit this month. Um, but, but last comic standing as a whole, I think is interesting because they tried to piggyback off what, a lot of different reality shows were doing, whether it be, you know, Big Brother and Survivor or American Idol. They changed their format essentially every season. Um, but I think at its core, the goal was good, and that was to give a voice for lesser-known comedians. I just don't think they ever quite found that uh, the best way to go about it. So um, we'll get into all of that as we go along here today. But you know, just wanted to remind you guys, go to blindmike.net because the whole Dat Fan Tom Myers Havard Grace saga is uh, is on there. So if you want to check out the Patreon, um, go to blindmike.net, find the Patreon, subscribe, because you also get bonus episodes of Why Are You Laughing, like Joe DeRosa versus Anthony Cumia, um, the Pelican Brief, uh, the Howard Stern meeting that we had uh, Carl on for, Tucker Max, um, the Pablo Francisco meltdown, Norm McDonald on The View, the Bill Burr, Philly rant, Donald Glover's weirdo, all these bonus episodes um, that we did on uh, exclusively on Patreon. You can find there and uh, you can find the free links as well. If you'd rather just support the show for free, then uh, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, all the free links are there as well as the YouTube. Um, watch on YouTube, subscribe. And uh, I will say, we appreciate you guys watching on YouTube, liking, commenting, all that. Um, But if there's ever videos like today, um, we have some stuff that might get flagged by YouTube. So if you want the full uncensored videos, 
then uh, those will be up on Patreon as well. That's just uh, the easiest way for us to upload everything and get it all out there. So support the show. Go to blindmike.net if you'd be so kind. We appreciate it. Um, I was last comic standing fan when I was a kid because it kind of it scratched that itch when everyone wa- was watching American Idol. I was a nerd who liked, you know, everything that was playing on Comedy Central all day. So this kind of, it felt like I was doing both. It felt like I was in popular culture and things that normal people liked, but also uh, scratching the the comedy itch that I had of finding new comedians and everything. And Last Comic Standing did do that. They found people like Rich Voss and Ralphie May and some others that were in season one. Um, you know, throughout the course of time, it's a weird show because I was talking to, uh, the great Justin Trudell about this on our ride to Haver de Grace. And he was kind of asking about last comic standing and a point that he made is like, Carrie Underwood is the last, the, the American Idol winner, like super famous now, but she won American Idol. Same with Kelly Clarkson and a few others. Yeah. Like, yes, they got super famous because of American Idol. Someone like Amy Schumer was on Last Comic Standing, but by no means do we know her because of that, even though she did very well on that show. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's weird. They tried a lot of different things, um, but let's get not get too far ahead of ourselves. We are focusing on Dat Fan. So let's hear about how the great Dat Fan started in comedy and his journey to get on Last Comic Standing. I took a speech class, speech 101, and in that, or the, as they call it, 120, I believe, and then they have something called uh, speech to entertain. STD, okay. And spe- uh, not STD, not to be confused with those two things, two different oh, things. Oh, daddy. So there's rest. STD and there's <laughs> STE, speech to entertain. And I was making people laugh on that. I was, I was like, what is this? I was 21 years old. A buddy of mine invited me to a comedy club. And my friend Robert invited me down there. I went to go watch stand-up with him. I didn't even know what it was. I, I remember yeah. seeing things like that on HBO, like when I was a kid, like little commercial, like George Carlin and all yeah. that stuff. And then I didn't know what it was. So then I saw it at the comedy store in La Jolla and then I didn't do too well when I tried it. And then I got better and better over time. And well, that's debatable. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you heard in there already Dat fan style where he says something where the initials are S T E and not, Hey folks, I know where your mind's going. Not S T D. He's a guy who grabs the lowest hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. And I think in maybe the 1950s, he would have had a decent career because people would be like, whoa, hey, where's this guy? This guy's wacky. Where's he coming from? <laughs> he does fun accents and everything. It's zany. Um, the problem is that fan's a guy, and I say this about Matt Reif. Now, Matt Reif's obviously, I mean, insanely more successful. He's doing incredibly well for himself, Mm -hmm. uh, selling out theaters and arenas all over the country at crazy prices. Um, So Matt Reif's found an audience. But what I say about Matt Reif is it's, you know, misfortune's the wrong word because, again, he's extremely successful. But if you want to grow as a comedian, he got too popular too quickly. That fan got on a reality show. It's a lot different than being crazy successful, but he did get on a reality show on NBC. And in his mind, he never had to evolve. He was 26 when he got on Last Comic Standing. And he had the kind of material that a 26-year-old would have. It's all very basic. Hey, I'm Vietnamese, so I'm going to make all Vietnamese jokes. 
and then he'll do a wacky accent. Like my, my mother, can you believe a Vietnamese woman has a Vietnamese accent? Who would have thought that? It's crazy. <laughs> and so because it sounds silly, it's the lowest hanging fruit. He doesn't know how not to be cheesy, which I think is true of a lot of 26-year-olds year old, in general, but 26-year-old comedians, where they think, I'm probably the first person to ever think of this. <laughs> Yeah. And then you go to any open mic and nine guys are making the same exact masturbation joke or, uh, you know, not going to college when all of your other friends are or dealing with you. I mean, aren't your parents squares? <laughs> you realize, oh, every other kid in their 20s has these thoughts. And so I think dad fans growth was stunted. Because you'll, you'll hear it a few times where he talks about, well, I got on Last Comic Standing when I was 26. That's pretty good, right? I was pretty successful at a young age. Yeah, you're 48 so, still talking about it, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's the issue is that he got this success and he said, well, it's cruising from here. I don't think he ever worked on anything. Um, so, you know talked about it enough. Let's get into the nitty gritty. He's on last comic standing for God's sake. Uh, oh, but we're going to hear Jay Moore kind of explain the, the show, right? Yeah. This one is just called last comic standing here. Yeah. Let's hear it. This is uh, Jay Moore. Who was the host of season one. We are beginning a nationwide search to find the best undiscovered stand-up comedian in the country. Over the next several weeks, we'll narrow the field from thousands of comics to a final 10. Those 10 comics will then live together in a palatial mansion nestled high in the Hollywood Hills where they will compete against each other. Ultimately, you, America, will decide who deserves the grand prize, which is an exclusive NBC talent contract, plus a special on Comedy Central and the title of Last Comic Standing. It's a great prize. It's a it's a hell of a prize, especially for a young comic or even for an older guy like, you know, had Rich Voss won. That would have been great for his career. Uh, Ralphie May, same, all, all these guys that were on there. That would have been tremendous no matter how long he'd been in comedy. Um, the problem with Last Comic Standing is they never figured out what they wanted to be. Like you hear there, oh, we're going to put them in a house together. Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> and this is 2003. So this is kind of piggybacking off the success of uh, the real world. And then the early days of Big Brother. Um, then it has evolved. There, there were elements of like Survivor, because Survivor was very successful at that time where they would have to do challenges and stuff like that. And then in its later years, it kind of just became American Idol slash America's Got Talent, that sort of a thing, where it would be just, you know, judges telling the comics how they did on to the next one. Um, I'll tell you, it's weird. The only season I didn't watch is the only one with two guys that I really liked, Norm MacDonald and Anthony Jeselnik. <laughs> I actually didn't watch that one because but by the time they got there, I wasn't thinking about Last Comic Standing. I was like, oh, they butchered this so many times. Um, Greg Giraldo also did, uh, judged one season as well. Um, right before he passed, that was one of the last things he did was uh, judging Last Comic Standing. So, like, they did make an effort. And it wasn't like American Idol in the sense that you've never heard of any of these people before. Like I said, um, some of these guys had done things. They've been around comedy for an amount of time, um, just weren't household names yet by any means. You know, like Rich Voss was on Opie and Anthony while he was doing Last Comic Standing. Um, so 
in 30 years into his career at that point. <laughs> at least 20. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these guys were established comedians. What they saw in that fan, I guess was diversity. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They said, I, you know, I, they didn't want all white guys, I guess. So they said, well, that fan is literally diversity because all he talks about is being Asian. So that's something. <laughs> yeah, the Supreme Court ruling was like 20 years too late. We could have used it back then. <laughs> um, but this is uh, his audition tape. Okay, so you're going to get a feel for what I'm talking about. <laughs> we apologize. I got involved with comedy because I liked making people laugh. And then eventually I took an open mic at the comedy store in La Jolla. My name is Dat Fan. I'm from San Diego, California. How you guys doing? I'm very, very nervous because uh, I've never been in NBC Studios before, and you know I'm about to go on Carson stage and in front of two major execs, and I'm trying to be funny in front of them. Vietnamese people and beauty salons. How did that come together? I'm kind of curious about that. What was the plan of attack there? It's like, okay, Vietnam, listen up. This is our, our plan of attack right here. That's how we take over. Japanese people didn't make they make the VCR. Vietnamese people, we take over by doing pedicure. That's how we take over. We take over one foot at a time. That's the plan of attack right there. We do it from the toe up. That's the plan right there. I think Dot should move on to the semifinals with us in Los Angeles. Yes! Thank you very much, you guys. He's never been on Thank TV. You. He's never had, he has no credit. Ugh. And I don't know how long he's been comedy for, but he was somebody that just won us over. He, was, he had great energy and he had great jokes. Good energy. You're a real nice material. fine, Dot. We like you. Thanks. Thank Dot. you very much, Bob. How'd you know I was Bob? Because I answer phones at the Hollywood Improv and I talk to you every day. Oh my God, that, I didn't know that was you. That's me. <laughs> really making an impact on this guy's life. Unmemorable. <laughs> Dad fan story. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know, Dad, maybe, I don't know, Korean immigrants just wanted a way to make a living and that was something that they were able to do and that's how they built that up and then they owned businesses and passed it on to their family. I guess that's, I don't know, it's not that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> from the toes up. Okay. <laughs> but that's that fan's whole act. And that like that nail salon bit again for a 26 year old Vietnamese American. That's not crazy for them to think that and like, Oh, think, Oh, this will be funny. But as over time, you should evolve. I think the sad thing is I saw a debt fan perform a couple weeks ago and he's still doing those jokes. It'd be like it's, if if we went back and listened to the first episode of this or Blind Mike Project and went, man, we really we really crushed it and weren't just like, oh, we've come a long way. Gross. No room for growth. <laughs> yeah. Let's pause any evolution. We've got it, baby. He, he watches this. He's like, I should probably dust that material off. <laughs> it's it, and that's the thing about comics is you know, they're known for going back and mocking their old stuff and talking about like, Oh, they, you know, they're disgusted. Like, Oh, I was just doing, you know, Mitch Hedberg when I started, mm -hmm. I was just copying Jerry Seinfeld or whoever. Right. Um, dad, I don't think ever had that moment because he had success and he got so locked into, Oh, I got on this show. That means I'm successful. Right. That means this material is good. And that's all I will ever do. So on the show, they would do things like no one respected dad <laughs> immediately. He, like that was, that was an immediate, no one thought this guy was funny. No one this, thought this guy belonged there. And they would do things like in season one, um, you know, they're all in the house together and they 
said they suggested the idea of playing hide and go seek, and there was some prize. And uh, then Ralphie May is just doing one of those interstitials to the camera and goes, uh, yeah, we're going to play uh, hide and go seek, but just no one's going to look for debt. <laughs> <laughs> so they just made him hide there for like half an hour. <laughs> just left him. <laughs> but like, that's good ball busting. And I think there are a lot of 26 year olds that would use that as growth and be becoming kind of part of the inner circle. That's a form of hazing. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how much that exists in comedy now, but in those days, in the tough crowd days, the comedy seller days, uh, that was that was your way in to that group, to the respected group of comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that fan ever had that that muscle. I don't think he was ever interested in doing anything like that. Um, and that was pretty obvious by his last comic standing appearance. Yeah, from what I, I hear on like podcasts and stuff, New York's still kind of like that, but LA is gone. <laughs> New York a little bit, comparatively not at all. Com- right, like, you know, right. You know, New York in uh, two thousand three would bully today's New York, and I actually think it's changed for the better. To where it's like, um, uh, I, I've I've heard, I think it was Joe DeRosa or Bob Kelly telling this story about working with Bill Burr where they were, um, they wrote this movie. I don't know if you ever saw the short film they made together, Cheat. It was Bill yes. Burr, Joe DeRosa, and Bob Kelly. I have. And they also wrote a book called Cheat as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, they did it together, and it was at a time where uh, Bill Burr was, you know, he, his career was starting to blossom a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the other two guys, Bob Kelly and Joe DeRosa, had, like, careers, but were definitely lesser known. Bob Kelly was more established than DeRosa at the time. Um, but none of these guys were massive names, but they would, you know, work at the comedy cellar together and they would work on these things and guys like Keith Robinson would be like, what are you doing? Stupid. <laughs> and just mad. It's a horrible Keith Robinson, but you get the point. <laughs> I had to call it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, they'd be working on shit and they'd be get made fun of by, uh, Keith and Patrice and Voss and these guys. And finally they said that Bill just snapped one day and said, yeah, Keith, I'm trying to better my career. <laughs> and you see the success, both very funny guys, but you see what Bill Burr turned into and what Keith Robinson's career turned into. And Keith Robinson had a very respectable comedy career, but Bill Burr is now a legend because of that kind of work ethic. And the self-awareness to say, okay, I've got to break out of that a little bit. It can't all be ball busting because then you never get anything done. You know? Yeah. The, the, uh, the stories were always great though. Well, the stories were tremendous, but I do think it, it slowed some of their careers down because they were afraid of doing anything that would get made fun of, you know? Yeah. Was, was Keith Robinson in the, uh, the Tracy Morgan accident? Or am I mixing? No, no yeah, he had, he's had two strokes, though, entirely yeah, separately. But. I knew that, but I wasn't sure if that was because of the... Uh, no, yeah. other black guys, you racist. Yeah. All right, let's so continue. He, he wasn't even lucrative enough in that, I guess. <laughs> um, this is this is respecting the craft. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sure Dad Fan has a lot of respect for comedy. Yeah, sure. He didn't know what it was. He's like, ah, George Carlin. <laughs> Well, I would back on that, Jeff. That. I mean, oh, yeah, that's right. you guys are like pretty top-notch comics. You guys are experienced, right? And then you guys, it's like, it's like being Navy SEALs. 
if, a Navy, if you said that you're special forces, you should go on <laughs> against other special forces. What? You're not going to go after. I mean, it's literally <laughs> we made fun of Brendan Schaub for that last week. I know. But <laughs> I couldn't believe I couldn't believe it when I found it. <laughs> on Blind Mike Project, we just made fun of, not made fun of, respected Brendan Schaub for, yep. for making an astute analogy. Mm-hmm. And what are the odds? Influenced by Dat Fan. <laughs> you know, we're ju- guys, we're just like Navy SEALs. I don't know who the um, the African American comic is on the show, but the look he gives him when he says that is the funniest thing of this video. <laughs> As it should be, it should be other disgust. Where this is a twenty six year old, you know, five years into comedy, which is virtually nothing. It means this basically he hasn't done comedy, <laughs> right? And he gets on a stage and is like, you know, guys, we're basically like. Navy SEALs. The guys that'll kill Bin Laden in eight years? <laughs> they should just send us. I don't get it. Why? Why? why we'd get it done today. You'd laugh them all to death. <laughs> I would back you on that, Jeff. I mean, you guys are like pretty top-notch comics. You guys are experienced, right? And then you guys, it's like it's like being Navy SEALs. If, a Navy, if you said that you're special forces, you should go on against other special forces. What? You're not going to go after the streets and stay by the bell. <laughs> You know, that, that's a real interesting point, because if you were to contest with regular people that weren't comics, yeah. you in the audience and you at home would know you'd go after the strongest person first. That was yeah. a threat to your prize. But for some reason, comics, almost out of respect to the craft, you guys went after the people you thought didn't belong first. Well, no, here- <laughs> this is a low-key insult. <laughs> it's great. Well, it's great that Jay Moore... Like kind of saved what Dad was trying to say, because mm-hmm. what Dad said there basically is like, "Oh, you guys will just go for the lowest hanging fruit." Ironic, <laughs> but you guys will just go after the guy lowest on the totem pole because you're afraid of going after the big guys. That's quite, kind of what he's saying. He makes some analogy to Dustin Diamond throws him under the bus for some reason. Yeah, you'll, you'd be lucky to have the career Dustin Diamond had. Oh, do us all do us all a favor, but <laughs> he. Then Jay Moore steps in and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are doing it out of respect to comedy because you know a guy like Dat shouldn't be included in all of this. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) And he fucking, it's not spoiling talking about that he won. We already said that, right? The fact, Uh, the fact that. I know now. Yeah, man. 25 years. (laughs) It's like uh, uh, the fact that he won this is so disgusting. And I think that might be the the long running problem with this show. It's weird. I I truly believe it loomed over this show forever. I don't think Last Comic Standing ever recovered because I think when you're looking at, I don't know, a Corey Kahaney was also in the final five. I know I know the name. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about her. Um, but other than that, like you look at Rich Voss and Ralphie May on the stage. Mm-hmm. And they said, Dat Fan is the best comedian here. And then he does a silly accent and he's like, my mother. Can you believe it? (laughs) My favorite thing, though, is he's Vietnamese and everyone keeps calling it Korean mom. It's just like an extra insult. They don't even listen to him. (laughs) I I, I keep doing it, too, because I think he says Korean. So I think he mixes it up. (laughs) You know what it is? It's uh, um, on Tough Crowd and like all the other shows, every comic. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey, we're getting there, buddy. Jesus. We've played it on a past episode. We're getting there. What, what do you think we're doing here? Continue. <laughs> Continue. Uh, we have... <laughs> this one is... meant. This is the mental, uh, you know, like, microscope put on Dat Fan here with this journal. 
and it's fucking crazy. Okay. Out of 1,079 shows, I've probably done about... You know how many shows you've done? I have a journal with every single show written. Wow. Yeah, I document everything. For example, here's five of my comedy minutes right here. It goes from 10 to 15 minutes long. He's got charts and graphs on every show he's ever done. It's, it's disturbing. 3.63636 laughs per minute, laughs per minute ratio. These are how long the bits are. Each square on the graph here represents one second. He's out of his mind. IBM doesn't have charts like this. I have like the names, everything in the journal. Like, take, I take it very seriously. Take me out of your journal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually looked it up and in psychiatric terms, they refer to that as a massive waste of time. Yes. <laughs> under like this, that's the problem with certain people that get into comedy and try to learn comedy. It's not that anyone told that he was funny. It's that he's like, Oh, I can study comedy and become a great comedian tracking the, you know, laughs per second and the decibels per laugh. It doesn't, that's not how comedy works. It's, is this funny? Is it not funny? It's kind of an abstract thing where when you say something, because if it were a scientific formula, the idea that Patrice O'Neill and Mark Normand could exist in the same universe doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You would look at them and just listen to their voices and be like, well, both of these guys can't be the same thing, but they're both great comedians, you know? If if this notebook was jokes written down in maybe like uh, I did uh, the improv and it went okay. That's I would consider that normal. But yeah, save a few pages for the jokes, Dad. Yeah, not not. I got three point six three repeating laughs per minute is psychotic. Yeah, and it's it's also nonsense because there's no way to actually track it. It's like that new war stat that they use in baseball, where it's like, hey, wins above replacement. They would have won this many more games if. Uh, you know, Dustin Pedroia was out of the lineup, and it's like, I guess we're just guessing, though, right? There's no way to actually know that. <laughs> so, sure, I it's it's. I, I like that. That's how much I've been following baseball lately. That I use Dustin Pedroia as my <laughs> young up and comer. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the kind of psychotic stuff, and that's where Dat never fit. As a comedian, genuinely, this is this is a stereotype that Dad would love to use, but he should have gotten into something more, you know, mathematical, <laughs> like engineering or something, because it seems like that's what he's into. It seems like he's into, you know, charts and formulas and all this stuff. That doesn't work for comedy. What you should be doing is writing material. Then, and you know what? You people in the comments might go at me and say, hey, Jerry Seinfeld and people like that kind of talk about comedy in this way. And I agree. And I have my issues with how Seinfeld talks about comedy, but to Seinfeld's credit, I don't think he was doing this as an open micer. No, I don't think Seinfeld was talking with that pomposity in year five of comedy, you know, when he hadn't, couldn't even get past at the comedy store. Yeah. And we That's also, the, that I think is the big difference. And we also saw that special, I, at least I did. I don't know if you saw it on Netflix where he's got all his old notebooks and all the pages and everything. Those all have a, chart, a lot of charts in those. No, no. They're all jokes. Actually. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I don't know why he did that. 
yeah so that's something that's just something like where you're trying to be quirky and interesting and it doesn't help your comedy at all but just right there rich voss going take me out of your notebook now it's <laughs> way funnier but that rich voss is giving him an education that those numbers never will Correct. It's in, in one second, Rich Voss was funnier than anything that's ever come out of that notebook. <laughs> he really should have won. That would have been great. It's weird. Like, in a way, Voss could have been the perfect mentor for this guy. He really could have. And that's the unfortunate thing about a guy like Dad Fan. Because, again, uh, you know, 20 years later, goes into the Blind Mike Project. He hasn't learned his lesson, this Dat fan. He can't He can't deal with anything that isn't perfectly, again, maybe he thinks in numbers like that notebook. Maybe that's how he thinks because he can't deal with anything that's thrown at him that he wasn't expecting. Do you guys, do you think you laughed so much in Haver to Grace that you upped his laugh per minute ratio? <laughs> we may have skewed the numbers. Yeah. I think the charts were all off and now he has to go back to square one. Wow, the best show I've it's had since, the, the best show I've had since 2015 and I'm going to kick them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, here's Dat talking about greatness. Oh, well, there's a lot to learn here, I'm sure, from a man who went on to a lot of greatness. Like I said, you know, feel free to let me know in the comments if this doesn't fit the usual why you're laughing. There's more bitterness here than usual. Yeah, yeah. But I, do, I, I, fi I actually find it to be interesting because it was the first guy who, in a way, kind of tanked this show that could have been a great showcase for comedians. Yeah, this may be the first episode of Why Aren't You Laughing? <laughs> I've, I've, I myself have been doing stand-up comedy for 18 years. I don't have a book. Uh, exactly how, how does it help you? Um, it, basically, the journal is a combination between my scientific approach and also the, the theoretical. <laughs> and, and, my, and, my, and also on the, on the spiritual side of comedy, too, because you're going to have to have a soul to, to be funny. You know what I mean? So like, No, I, get I, rich. I, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's just firing at each other. So um, that's just my approach. Everybody has their own way. And even you told me, you know, there's no one way to greatness. And, greatness and, is the what? You know, does it work? I mean, I'm here <laughs> part of the final five, so I hope that's... that's Are the, the aliens still <laughs> And that right there, he was never able to get that thought out of his head. Hey, you want to talk greatness? I'm here. I made it on Last Comic Standing, so I must be great. And I don't think he was ever able to escape that. And that, I think, plagues a lot of young artists in, you know, all across entertainment where you get something and you think, boy, I'm the I'm the shit now. I should do exactly what I've been doing. There's no way that this was a fluke. There's no way I need to grow anymore. I can just coast on this one credit for the rest of my life. And that's what people like that fan end up ultimately doing, unfortunately. Yeah. His career went so well. We have zero high def footage of it. <laughs> yeah. People are clamoring for this episode of last comic standing so much so that the end isn't even in there. And I couldn't, I couldn't find them announcing that he won. <laughs> Maybe it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I just dreamed it. Yeah. But, but you hear in that clip, Jay Moore, who's friends with Rich Voss, and Voss is like, you know, even at that time, the most respected guy comedically on that stage, probably. Mm -hmm. um, probably. He takes a shot at Voss there. Yet, when it would happen to a guy like that, I think that's where bullying becomes bullying, is how you take it. Are you talking about the uh, soul line? Yeah. That was, uh, that was another uh, contestant. That wasn't Jay. Um, well, we'll, re we'll replay it, because I, I, I'm referring to something specific. Uh, let me pull it back up. 
the uh, the funny thing is, like, <laughs> I think if Dat just embraced being pummeled and used that's exactly, that, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Let's put, let's hear this, and I'll make my point. Uh, which one was it? Uh, do greatness. I, I, I myself have been doing stand-up comedy for 18 years. I don't have a book. Uh, exactly how, how does it help you? Um, it, basically, the journal is a combination between my scientific approach and also the, the theoretical. <laughs> and, and, my, and, my, and also on the, on the spiritual side of comedy, too, because you're going to have to have a soul to, to be funny. You know what I mean? So like, No, I, get I, rich. I, <laughs> right there, right there. That was, yeah, that was a, that was a contestant. Okay, so either way, like that that's just general ball busting. Right. Yet if Dat did that, he would add that to sort of his victim story. He was victimized by these people. Like they bullied him. So I think that's what a lot of bullying is, is how you perceive it, how you react to it, how you take it. Mm-hmm. They may be being shitty to you. And listen, I've been I've been guilty of this too, for sure. It takes a, a lot of uh, experience and learning and, and growing through it and figuring out how you're going to react to things mentally. That does take work for sure. But I think Dat looked at these things like the hide and seek thing. He, he internalized that as him being a victim rather than he in turn tries to be funny and do that shit to them and letting that be a funny story that he has to tell when he's doing, you know, radio appearances at right. the time or podcasts, whatever. Right. The, 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 the bully meant to, the, especially then, I mean, the whole scene was all bullies, but the fact that you, like, if someone makes a joke at my expense, if it's funny, I'm going to laugh at it. I'm not going to. Sure. Like, <laughs> and even, even if you don't, you kind of have to understand that that goes with the territory. There's right. remarkable things about every human being. Correct. If you're in comedy, they're going to point those things out. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think that was that was the issue that dad had is that he's never embraced this stuff. No. Um, so where are we now? Because I don't want to go too far. ahead. We are uh, moving on to tough crowd. OK, I thought so. But first, I'll just say, yeah, he had um, so he, he got a deal with NBC. Uh, I don't I don't remember his hour long comedy central special. It may, maybe they gave him a half hour. I don't know. Or maybe they aired it at three in the morning and that was it. Yeah. They gave him the old Norm Macdonald treatment. It'd yeah. Be great if that's the two people they did that to is yeah. Dick fan and yeah. the greatest ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, what I do know of his time after last comic standing is much like American idol, the top 10, I think would do a tour together. So, you know, various lengths of time each comic would have. And then the winner, obviously, would be the headliner. So, you know, first nine guys, I don't know if Jay Moore would go out with them also. I don't know how it worked exactly. But, you know, you have all these comedians go up. And then Dat Fan is supposed to go up and headline. So that generally means 45 minutes-ish. However, season one, that's not how it worked. The winner didn't headline. Because they found out pretty quickly after the first couple shows that Dat Fan only had 10 minutes of material and so was ill-equipped to headline shows. Definitely. And so Ralphie made the takeover, and now people were going out, and which people probably were pleasantly surprised, but uh, Ralphie May had to headline these last comic standing shows because Dat Fan wasn't capable of it. So... 
in a way, I don't blame that fan. I blame the people who put him in this situation. Correct. Because he never should have been there. He's a kid who had 10 minutes, and then they were like, all right, buddy, get up there, crank out 45. Yeah. And he's like, here's... Here's what else my Vietnamese mother would say. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't blame him for that, no doubt. What you can blame him for is what's going on between the ears. Right. Yeah, for sure. Where it, it seemed like there was never an instance of, I, I don't belong here. Like if I you, shouldn't be doing this. The fact that he had to follow Ralphie May and Rich Voss on that tour and couldn't. <laughs> literally was was not didn't have the word didn't have enough words in that notebook that he could say <laughs> he just starts reciting formulas if that would have been honestly maybe one of the funniest things he ever did is if he started breaking down that book on stage <laughs> uh folks i don't have a joke prepared but i do know that e equals mc squared what, <laughs> anyone got anything for that <laughs> is that funny is that a bit <laughs> <laughs> the comics are all tagging it from the back <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, because because of this opportunity, Dad was able to do things like a uh, tough crowd with Colin Quinn. I, by the way, I think essentially, I think what an NBC talent deal is basically they find something for you to do, whether it be a pilot, uh, maybe you could, you know, being a writer on the Tonight Show or something like that. I don't think any of that panned out for Dad, unfortunately. Um, but he was able to go on tough crowd. Now, in a weird way. Tough crowd is both an impossible position for him and so much easier than what he had to do on stage because the kid didn't have any material. So if you are funny, I get it's nerve wracking and you're with these loud legendary voices. Um, but just talking about the news, you know, so guy, go watch the uh, tough crowd episode if you aren't already a fan, but I assume most of you remember um, in my opinion, one of the, maybe the greatest talk show ever on regular television. Easily. Um, Funniest for sure. And uh, ba- basically it was, the it came after The Daily Show, and it was kind of in that style in the sense that it was comedians talking news, but it was much more relaxed. And Colin Quinn would host, and there'd be four comedians, and they'd kind of, you know, throw the ball around and just well, a lot more ball busting the news. A lot of the time um, in the tough crowd episode, we talked about the legendary moment of uh, Greg Giraldo and Dennis Leary getting into a fight. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of great stuff like that on there. A lot of the just general ball busting between guys that were genuine friends. And then sometimes, sometimes you'd get someone like that fan to come on. So in my opinion, again, I may have taken the wrong approach. It's why I wouldn't get into stand-up comedy is I don't think I'd be capable of a moment like this. Maybe that fan should have had that self-awareness because he went in with entirely like, I guess, prepared material Mm -hmm. to a lion's den where you're going to get just ripped apart for something like that. But that that just proves like just how he doesn't get it that he went into that room he clearly hasn't watched the show then and just he like, doesn't he doesn't he doesn't get it. Yeah, he thought he could do the same horse shit he was doing on last comic standing yes. and get away with it. So this is kind of this is really the moment that cemented that fan's legacy <laughs> was his appearance on this show and his inability to pivot and try anything out of his comfort zone. 
And the best part is Rich Voss is on this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that is sorry. Uh, Colin Quinn, one, one of the greats of all time, obviously. Patrice O'Neill, another one of the all time greats. The legend Rich Voss. And then Johnny Goomba. Well, I'm not familiar. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know who he is. I, I just find it funny that someone that beat on Last Comic Standing is on this episode with him. Being- yeah, well, we'll see who's funnier by the tough crowd metric. Yeah, yeah. I think he's just moved by trying to move a war around. He's like, okay, we're just going to move it over to Iraq now. I mean, that doesn't do anything. I mean, it's like in Vietnam. It's like, what are they going to go? Okay, the war is getting too crazy here. We're going to move it over to Cambodia. Yeah. What now? That worked out well. What, 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 would, uh, right? what would your mother say about this? <laughs> <laughs> Did you just do your hot Korean mama as Osama Bin Playing, you're doing Paul Potts, yeah. moving the wall, right? Paul Potts you see is your mama, mama from Last Comic Standing. Well, he do the rest of the show hiding behind a tree. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's racist in the tunnel. Oh, my mom like, okay, you know, no. Rich Boss, my mom would say, like, you know, Rich <laughs> Boss, he spent the whole show, he ironed stuff all the time, but he never ironed the wrinkles oh. around his eyes. <laughs> oh. Oh. He doesn't know the mother. Don't you say, mother, that made that <laughs> necklace you're wearing. <laughs> <laughs> what about... Patrice was in stunned disbelief where they're making fun of him for doing the hack accent. <laughs> and they go, what would your mother say about this? That's a joke. And he's like, well, here's what my mother would say. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> he's, it's robotic. And that goes back to the notebook where it's, I think, I don't know that he's a human being. He was programmed to do Vietnamese stereotypes. And that's something I talked about. So, um, the reason we're doing this episode is because we saw a dad fan. Uh, I, he, he opened behind Tom Myers. That's how I think of it. Right. Um, so we saw him with uh, Tom Myers and he's still doing the same material. And I was fascinated by it and it is, it's robotic and it's as if someone programmed him to do every racial stereotype. Like I said on a blind Mike project, he looks at a black guy in the audience and he looks over at the white girls and was like, Hey, you know, hide your wallets with this guy. And it's like, Jesus, man, that was like hack 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I think people perceive this. We'll, we'll hear from uh, Bobby Lee in a bit. And I think Bobby Lee actually has a good approach to this because I think some people look at this and say, Oh, they're bullying dad. And it's like, well, that's a comedian just like the other guys on the stage. For example, when Patrice passed away, I tell this story all the time, um, but uh, on the you know eulogy episode of Opie and Anthony the next day after Patrice died, Joe DeRosa told a story about watching an episode of Tough Crowd years ago. And uh, Mark Marin started doing a bit. And uh, he's they, they were talking about the Bible or something. He's like, and he mentions like the old Testament, and the new Testament. He's like, well, what if there was a third version? And he, you could tell he's going into like a bit that he kind of had prepared. And you just hear Patrice like kind of off mic go, shut up, Mark. <laughs> 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 just so dismissive of him. And yet like Marin and Pat- Patrice were great friends. We talked about with Patrice, like the episode of Marin he was on, where right before he died, where it seemed like Marin was kind of getting Patrice into podcast. Right. And Jay, you know? and Jay Moore. So, so that's a thing where like, 
it depends on how you perceive it. Now, Marin could have shriveled up in that moment and we never would have heard from him again. And he'd be someone who like, oh, Patrice bullied me and victimized me. But instead, Marin was a real comedian who just soldiered on and was probably better because of moments like that. I don't think dad ever had that. Now, I will say uh, some of the bullying, quote unquote, it did continue. It wasn't just that. <laughs> no, it was not. And here we go. Now, Baby Boy recently performed at the University of California and outraged some students who claimed that his ethnic and cultural material was offensive. <laughs> and even the other day, they were complaining on uh, how do you think ethnic humor is in bad taste. Hold on one That's second. That's true. So just if you weren't fully aware, that fan is on this because some college complained about his jokes. Now, I generally I'm very against cancel culture. I think on this one, I might side with the college. I get it. Yeah. I, I get it a little bit. It's offensive but, just because it wasn't funny. <laughs> but that fan is in Mecca of free speech defense. <laughs> he is in the, the, the Graceland, the place you want to be. If you have, you know, stepped in hot water and you want jokes defended. So just keep that in mind. That's the story is basically people complained about, uh, ethnic humor that Dad Fan was doing. He's in the place where these guys would absolutely defend that if they felt it was worthy of their defense. Yeah, and Colin Quinn does the meanest thing that happens on the show. He's rubbing his shoulder and touching his face while saying this. Colin like, oh. Quinn is very, he's supporting Dad, but there's a little, uh, you know, he's aware of what's happening. A little patronizing. <laughs> Now, Baby Boy recently performed at the University of California and outraged some students who claimed that his ethnic and cultural material was offensive. And even the other day, they were complaining on uh, how do you think ethnic humor is in bad taste. That's true. How about no more observations about anything that dis is distinct or unique about any culture or race? <laughs> Celebrating diversity is wrong, apparently. You know what? All comedy should be like the gap. Generic, safe, uncomplicated. <laughs> Here's, let's take a look at one of Dad Fan's performances. <laughs> My mom's like, that's not that funny. You want to make fun of us? You want to make fun of Asian time? You want to be a smuck, Ellie? It's like, Mom, chill out. I know you. You don't tell me what to chew. I chew what I chew you. Now, Dad Fan, uh, well, who was complaining about this? Was it Asians or other people? I have no idea. This is the deal. The people that paid them. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the deal. I, I spent an hour and a half afterwards signing autographs, and 90% Asian students yeah. were, were, were in line. So and Don't you think ethnic, if, if an accent is, isn't comedy about heightening <laughs> or uh, whatever they call or accents or differences to, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the culture that I grew up in. My family has accents, yeah. you know? I mean, if black comics make fun of, you know, their own culture or race, They don't whatever. make fun of all culture, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not or, you know, show. Oh, if you see, like, Rich Voss, you do some Jewish jokes, right? I do maybe one. I, I usually talk about my life... Uh, uh, you know, I talk about my Vietnamese uh, mother a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, like, if, the thing is, if, if Asians do it, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, this guy, he's crazy. You know, like, I mean, I mean, we're just, this is what we do. You right. know what I mean? We're basing it on the air. I mean, the stereotypes are part of the. Go ahead, fellas. I'm just saying, I read that article that complained about him. The thing that pissed me off is that they referred to him in the article as a comic. And I was really upset. <laughs> you know, now, all I'm saying is that it's 514 and that fan got one more minute left on his fame. So I think that he should... Oh, oh, oh. 
thought you were a big well, developer. Uh, big... <laughs> He's so great. <laughs> but again, you're, the assumptions that he makes, he turns to Rich Voss and says, you probably do a lot of Jewish jokes. No, not really. Rich Voss like lived a life like he was a drug addict who would wear Daisy Dukes so he could get a deal on crack from his gay drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have to talk about, you know, chintzing on the tip. <laughs> and then even in that defense, the people that were outraged, I guess, I think what they were trying to say is that it was like students, like, you know, overly liberal uh, uh, white students that were like, he can't do that. And yet his impression of that person who was outraged is, oh, this guy, he crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that was the person going after you, Dad. (laughs) From what you actually just told us, it was them wanting your autograph for an hour and a half. Right. Yeah, I don't get it. So it's even in his defense of himself, he does that accent because it's the only way he knows how to be funny. It's just a shame that no one could just shake. And literally, these guys are trying. Like, look at it however you want. You know, you might hear Patrice saying uh, the thing that offended me is that they referred to him as a comic. <laughs> they, they've said that literally about the guy sitting there, Rich Voss, all the time. I know. They say he's not a comedian. He's a hack. He's this, he's that. The guy's a legend in the business. So he was able to take that and, and build on it and move, move on from it. And laugh dad, at it. Dad, and laugh at it. And that just was never able to do that. And it's a, it's a, a shame because what Patrice is doing there by saying, you know, well, bothered me as they referred to him as a comic is saying either have fun with this or bust my ball get angry and give me shit back one or the other yeah those are your options and instead Dak kind of just sat there and took it no you know what you know what he did this next video here is when moving on to the nfl it's like he didn't hear a thing that they said so far well we're moving on again to the nfl (laughs) you must be you're probably sitting at home thinking well certainly there's no way he could insert an Asian accent. The league, percentage-wise, minimally Asian. <laughs> I, I can't think of one. <laughs> but, so you're, you're probably thinking there's no way he can insert that accent here. And that might be what the other panelists were thinking as well. Vietnam is very big. Uh, tell them about have, uh, why don't we just have like Vietnamese coaches? That's right in the middle, and then we just like dig tunnels across the field underneath, and then we just uh, <laughs> we steal the playbook. Yeah? We got the book right here. We have the book for you. All right, that's why, first, here we go. First of all, just get us a Dad, now. Listen to me. First of all, is he plugged up? Does he have a, a microchip that says do a, a damn goofy Vietnamese voice every five minutes? <laughs> you don't understand. You know that fan in Vietnamese that means not funny. Oh. <laughs> He's he's telling him, stop doing that. Right. I'm here to help. Oh, <laughs> it's crazy. Everything. It was a Vietnamese accent and everything where it's like, this is a news show. So you have the perfect opportunity. Maybe you have actual thoughts on this, on the topics they're bringing up, or even like early on. They, they're talking about the Iraq war. It's like, you don't have to bring up Vietnam there. Also, not to mention, Dad grew up in San Diego. Right. You know what I mean? It's not like he had this 
Vietnamese upbringing where, oh, let me tell you all about Vietnam. No, his mother has that. His mother has the interesting upbringing. Well, uh, it's just him uh, making fun of her accent. (laughs) This could be like a Brendan Schaub situation where we meet his mom and she's like, oh, hi, everybody. How are you? (laughs) She doesn't even have the accent. That wouldn't wouldn't shock me. Hello, folks. I'm Dat Fan's mother. (laughs) I'm Mrs. Fan. Yeah. That's actually not our name. Our family name is Johnson. I don't know why he changed it. <laughs> he wanted a name that described his audience. <laughs> Singular. Yeah. Um, this is uh, this is only an eight second clip, but it's about the final segment. This is just, yeah, this is just setting up what it is that they're doing here. Now, this might have been a little Colin Quinn saying. We're gonna get we're gonna get this cocksucker's goofy accent one more time. <laughs> but uh, folks, in my early days as the dad fan of the Irish, I too caught heat for making fun of my own people. <laughs> Tell us one awful truth about your ethnicity. <laughs> <laughs> so that might have been a little like uh, let's, let's just see if you can do it. But again, by putting someone's flaws on display, it also gives them the opportunity to break out of it. You know, so I'm not I, I'm not again. I, in the situation, if I was thrown in there, I probably would have done just as poorly, but I hope I would have learned something from it 20 years later. And the point of this episode is that that fan has not, which we'll get to. But uh, I will say this is him being a little more playful, I think, than he had been in other segments, which that, that is good, I guess. Let's see if we can get through this without heckling this poor kid. (laughs) And do it without doing your mama's Vietnamese voice. All right. She's right. Do it as your dad. Do it. Do it. Do it as dad. Do it. But do like a German accent. Do like an accent in there. No, no, do a French accent. Come on, it'll be better. Do it. Do it, it's Mr. You want to to prove to these guys you got the chops? Don't worry, do it. It'll work. You want to know the awful truth about Asians? Go to any casino anywhere in the United States, and all the conservative Asians that you see at the dry cleaners and liquor stores and nail salons are standing at the tables, the crap tables and pie gout tables, and they're like, ho, 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 that's it. We gambled our house. (laughs) Here we go. We win. Compton Community College, <laughs> where we will serve French fries for my son. <laughs> oh, last night we lost five hundred dollars, but that won't happen again until tomorrow night. That was good. And you know, you know, it was French. It was a little bit almost like a martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> but see like they were supporting him i think he should have gone with patrice's advice and just like when he's like hey just do dat fan <laughs> be be your fucking self for once yeah <laughs> um but it's funny to have gone because then he's mocking the whole thing they were making fun of him for right. so in that moment you're almost like hey you know what that could have been a story well first of all i mean it is a little bit like the mafia where colin's just like no nah, come on do it do it. Make us laugh. Come on. How am I funny? <laughs> Do it. Um, so, but that is a moment where if that fan became a great comic, we would look back at that and say, Colin and Patrice in particular, Voss essentially just made fun of him, but <laughs> Colin and Patrice coached him into breaking out of that, shaking that off, the hackiness off, and, and growing. But... Yeah. He never did. What he was 
was an inspiration for other Asian American comedians. Yes. Uh, so Bobby Lee's our next clip, right? Yep. So Bobby Lee also came up in the San Diego comedy scene and Asian American, obviously. So there, there's some, you know, like in comedy, it, in roles in movies, there are tiers of Asians and that's, you know, a symptom of the business, unfortunately, but it's like, they'll go to Ken Jeong first <laughs> and then there might be a couple other guys and they get to Bobby Lee. And then if Bobby Lee and like six other people can't do it, they'll give that fan a call and put them on, you know, Hawaii Five O or something that is yeah. You know, the, 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 the end of Pineapple Express. They all got a spot. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think literally all three of those guys are in it. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Bobby Lee saw this clip. It's also funny, by the way, to note that um, I used to listen to Bad Friends a lot more. I haven't listened in a long time, but there's moments where Bobby Lee will be talking about a comedian that's like a legend in comedy, and he's like, "What's that guy's name?" And Santino will be like. Well, certainly you're not thinking of like Norm McDonald, right? That you're not, you didn't forget his name, right? And there's a moment like that in here, uh, which I think is funny. Yeah. But anyways, point is, um, Bobby Lee watched this unfold and was inspired by it. So that's a positive that that fan did. I saw Dad fan once on, um, in New York, he was doing, um, what's his name show? Um, it was on Comedy Central. It's what's that guy's name? Um, the older guy. He's kind of like Jimmy Schubert, but New York. Colin Quinn. Colin Quinn. Yeah. So Colin Quinn had that show on Comedy Central. Like one of the greatest shows of all right. time. Right. Yeah. So Dad <laughs> Fan was on it, right? Right. When he won Last Comic Standing. And the, it was Voss, Patrice O'Neill. Oh, my God. And they ripped him apart. Yeah, it's a firing squad. Yeah. They ripped him apart to the point where I felt bad for him. Right. For Dad. And Patrice kept making Asian jokes, I'm sure. Right. So bring up that clip if you can find it. When I saw that, I went, that's not going to be me. Right. Yeah. I am going to fight them back and I'm going to survive and I'm going to win. Right. So that's why I have the style that I do is because I just don't want to be a victim. You know, is that fan Patrice O'Neill, Rich Voss, but not Colin Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> but um, w what I found interesting about that is Bobby looked at that and it's true because if you heard Bobby Lee, when he was on Opie and Anthony with Patrice, he would like go right at Patrice and sh and it was funny. Like I thought he was mm -hmm. good. I know a lot of people don't like Bobby Lee on podcasts necessarily. I do like him. I think he's got a funny personality. Great at storytelling too. And I think a lot of that comes from him looking at moments like that fan and saying, well, I'm not going to let that be me. I'm going to be confrontational. That's how you win on these things. And that's how you gain fans. That's how you get people to like you. You get people to understand your personality more. You get people's respect in the room. And I think there's something to be learned from that. So that fan did, it was a teachable moment that he had there that I think inspired other people to not get steamrolled like that. Um, that's the mentality that we were just like, why can't he think to do that himself? Why can't he have that? So what's interesting about the Bobby Lee relationship is, um, I, I never knew this until looking for clips. I guess on the Tiger Belly set behind Bobby Lee is a framed picture of Dat Fan. Really? And any chance he gets, he will mention Dat Fan. And there's kind of a running joke because they'll make fun of his social media. I guess there's not a hashtag that hasn't been used on Instagram by Dat Fan. Um, so they'll make fun of stuff like that. And <laughs> Bobby Lee had an interesting point about Dat Fan. He said, um, basically, Bobby Lee said, I want to create a show titled Almost Talented. 
<laughs> where I have people like that fan on and just try to shake them out of not being cheesy. Right. Like just rip that, you know, rip those layers of cheese off and just say, no, no, no. Don't you understand? That's ha- there's, there's some talent in you, but you got to stop going for the easiest possible joke ever. Right. Um, you know, say what you want about Bobby Lee. And like, we talked about him telling stories that he got in trouble for. That's why he lost his gig with Wondery. Um, and then his defense was like, these aren't stories. I was embellishing. I was embellishing. I was lying, basically. And I thought that was kind of a weird move, but it was entirely original. You got to say that about him. You know, whereas that fan, you could maybe he's never stolen a joke in his life, yet nothing about it is original. And that's the problem where you want to shake these guys. And to, I think the best example is something um, people have asked me to do an episode on before, and I think we will at least do a mini bonus episode at some point or something. But there was a show called The Green Room. Do you remember that? Vaguely. It was kind of a tough crowd, wannabe type of thing. Mm-hmm. And they would have a bunch of comics on. Um, and there was one episode where they, it was uh, Mark Marin, Gary Shandling, Ray Romano. I don't know who else was on it, uh, but one of the guys was Bo Burnham. And this is 21-year-old Bo Burnham. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they start busting his balls because he's the young kid. It's similar to the dad fan situation. Now, I don't know if Ray Romano is as brutal as Patrice O'Neill. I'll give you that. <laughs> but, but they are busting the kid's balls, yeah. and you can tell they don't really respect him at first. And he starts going back at them in, in a fun way, but he is giving it to them. And I think by the end of it, they all walked out of there going, this kid is, he's got something. He's fucking funny. Right. 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 I do remember that. And so I think that's what separates geniuses like Bo Burnham from people who have nothing like that fan. <laughs> he's just doing the same material. He's like a local Boston comic that had a semi-national audience. It's like if today, if after that incident, Bo Burnham today was still singing, my whole family thinks I'm gay. <laughs> It's like we got it, man. Yeah, it's crazy. You're you're in your thirties now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, next, we have the last comic standing reunion. Okay. Well, I just this is a few years later. Uh, Anthony Clark was hosting at this time. The guy from Yes, Dear. Um, I I don't really remember this season. It wasn't particularly significant to me. Uh, but it was a reunion where they tr- brought a lot of old people back. And this is the material that that fan decided to do on an episode of Last Comic Standing to show us how much he's grown over the years. Oh, man. It's so good to be back. I'm so thankful to be back on Last Comic Standing. You know, I'm thankful, I'm thankful to be one of the four Asians on TV, period. You know, okay. Because <laughs> we need more Asian role models. When I started out, you know, I had, I had one role model. I had Sulu on Star Trek. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, Captain Sulu here, Dr. McCoy, looking for Poon on the planet P. You know Sulu, right? And I just found out my one hero, Sulu, he's gay. He just came out of the closet and he was a cock, but that's why my, my point is this, you guys. I'm telling you guys, because, you know, it's hard enough as it is being an Asian American getting, you know, movie roles. The only movies he can do now is Memoirs of a Gay Man and Brokeback Mount Fuji. That's all I can tell you. Oh. You know, see, some of you guys are laughing, some of you guys are like, I don't get it. When's he going to start singing She Bangs? What the hell's happening here? This is a guy in American Idol, right? Your mother on the grill, she banged, tie her shoes, thing like a bee. Come on, she banged. Loved that joke. 
So I wanted that's a reference to William Hung for you kids out there. Get uh, ready. American Idol fame. I want to tell you something about that joke, but I'll save it for after our next clip. So this is a few years later. I don't remember this. I don't remember what the joke was. I guess how I met your mother was under fire for some Asian joke or something. Um, the next clip is not Don Lemon, but if you want to oh, go. Oh, I'm to, sorry. We'll get there in a minute, I guess. Uh, I can play it now if you want. Yeah, let's play it. Let's play it now. Just because this is a few years later. Uh, Dat fan trying to promote himself said, hey, um, if, if someone's under fire for a joke, I will, uh, I'll, I'll come to the rescue. I'll be the voice of comedy. That's, that's good. Dad. Let's see how he plays it here. So I guess how I met your mother. I don't remember this, but was in trouble for some joke that they made. And it was a subject on CNN. It's also wild to hear Don Lemon's opinion on this like, t- 10 years ago. Oh, he, <laughs> he completely has changed. It's fucking weird. <laughs> but, but, uh, let's hear him with that fan here. Yeah. Who has the best haircut I've ever seen. I'm just said, I want to bring in our comedian, Dat Fan. Dat, I mean, <laughs> the first rule of comedy is that it has to be funny. The modern family thing I thought was really funny, but you don't think the creator <laughs> should have apologized of how I met your mother. Why is that? First of all, Don, I want to thank you for not introducing me as William Hung, who sings She Bangs on American <laughs> Idol. Thank you for not mixing us. <laughs> um, I don't think the producers owe an apology at all. Are you kidding me? I, I just watched the entire episode. There was, I believe there was nothing offensive about it. I think America has become hypersensitive about this stuff. True. Uh, I, I don't want to give away my age, but basically I grew up during a time when I watched Tom and Jerry, and there's episodes where the cat's blowing his brains out. Mm-hmm. Um, my, no offense, but I, you know, I, I'm not, a, a lot of my generation is not going around shooting up schools. It's mm-hmm. the younger generation with the, the, the censored cartoons <laughs> that's doing that. Mm. He took a How I Met Your Mother joke and started talking about shooting schools. I, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about there. Listen, I've gone to great lengths to defend people who have stepped in it. I've never taken it to mass shootings, I don't think. That was an interesting route. Um, but you heard the William Hung joke, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, so that's a few years later. He does, Hey, I'm not William Hung. He's so hung we're up in, on that. We're, we're in Haver de Grace. Oh, no. He gets on stage. He does a few minutes, and he goes, hey, some of you are thinking this guy's crazy. Some of you are thinking this. And I know some of you are probably thinking, I'm about to sing She Bangs. Oh. He's like, no, Dad, we weren't thinking that. <laughs> I'd prefer it if you wouldn't mind yeah. a few tunes. But... <laughs> So that that, I I just wanted to kind of create that that it's like everything is the cheesiest, and you know there was a time where you could get away with that more. There were where there were successful comedians that were definitely guilty of that because there wasn't the internet where you could monitor everything they were doing. But it's just such unoriginal dreck. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) All right. So what's what clip did we skip? Uh, Him talking about no regrets. Oh, this is what's crazy to me is that he regrets nothing about the way he's handled things, I guess. Is that a sore spot? I'm very grateful that I won last time standing. I would do it all over again. Obviously, I don't regret any of it. I guess in some ways, and once again, I'm not trying to sound ungrateful here. It's kind of like asking like certain Super Bowl like winners, like, hey, what was like winning the Super Bowl? But it's so weird because... millions of people have asked them what was it like to win the Super Bowl. And after a while, I mean, I've seen actors lose their mind doing a scene like 40 times. Oh yeah. But uh, I've met 11 million people. Thankfully, thank God I was very happy to tour and all that. But uh, no, it was great. 
Yeah. It was yeah. it was great to win last comic standing. I know we're talking about something that happened uh 20 years ago. What? That, that's that's his big regret is getting asked about last comic standing. Not that I probably never should have been on the show. I wish I handled it differently. I wish I, you know, ran with the opportunities in a different direction. Instead, he compares himself to Super Bowl winners. And I do remember when Tom Brady retired and they were like, Tom, you've got seven rings. But you never even auditioned for Last Comic Standing. Do you regret it? <laughs> but and he was like, yeah, I feel very silly for never giving it a try. <laughs> but the thing is, though, he's, he changed his mind from the beginning of that sentence. He's like, my biggest regret. And then at the end, he's like, I loved it. I would never change a thing. He wouldn't change a thing about it. Really, Dad? You wouldn't have given yourself more time to grow? Maybe try to get on a few seasons later? Like, that's the crazy thing is every comedian I hear their regrets are that they wish they let things play out longer. They wish they gave things more time. They did certain things later in their career because it would have been better. Even even Louis C.K., I've heard say this recently, that he kind of regrets putting uh, specials out every single year because they'd be better with a little time to grow. He finally admitted that. Finally. So for a dad fan to be like, guys, what would I change 20 years later after looking back on my career? Nothing. <laughs> it was almost like he had that moment. And then he was, as he's talking, he's like, why the fuck would I change the goddamn thing? <laughs> right. Yeah. This is, it's perfect. What I'm doing. Dad, uh, dad analyzed his career and said, job well done. <laughs> perfect. Which if that's how he truly feels good for him, as long as he's got his mental health, that's good. Uh, but if you're just looking at a comedy career, it's, uh, not something I would say I have well, no regrets for. Well, I don't know how his uh, mental health's doing because uh, obviously the gearheads have been bombarding every post he has with the uh, blind cane guy, and he's uh, he's begun to block people. Yeah, he has started blocking people, so he doesn't just hate blind people in real life. He wants them <laughs> off of his social media as well. He sees the emoji, and he's like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he has PTSD. He's like, yeah. oh god. <laughs> but uh next we have uh him talking about the social media age. Oh, this is how he's adapted to and this is the delusion I'm talking about. Yes. I going into this uh beef I have with that fan, I didn't know what he'd been up to. I assumed he was pretty self-aware. He hasn't had a great career, but I assumed he knew that on some level. Now I'm thinking he might fit the delusion and lack of self-awareness that we love on Blind Mike Project so much, where we find these characters like uh, Chris D'Elia and uh, Tom Myers and Brendan Schaub, who are our friends now. We find them and we kind of stuttering John. We say, uh, they might not be aware of exactly what their worth is in this business. And I tend to find that very funny. And I think dad might fit that category when you hear him think of what his social media should have been if he timed it right. My buddy Larry Venturino tried to tell me, his fellow comedian, he tried to tell me to start TikTok two years ago, which I did. Yeah. And then I, I, find, I didn't post anything. I was too busy making fun of TikTok. Yeah. I didn't post anything at all. Too I mean, busy. I could even just post me making fun of TikTok, but I didn't do it. And I deeply regret it because, you know, comedy day today during the cyber age, the all the social media and all that stuff. It's very competitive. And yeah. I've missed out on probably, I don't know, a hundred thousand followers because I mm. decided to do nothing. I mean, I just sat here during the pandemic. I could have posted a TikTok and I failed to do it. And then, and here we are at 2000 followers. Does right? no one learn from Dane cook with MySpace? 
Does no one learn just from anything in general that it can't, you can't just post dad. You're posting those followers still exist. The hundred thousand people that you think would be following you, they still exist. They live and they're online and they're on TikTok. They could follow you today if they wanted to. You can't just post. Like if you go to his TikTok account, Mm -hmm. it's all just him looking at the camera going, I'm going to be in uh, Delaware this Thursday. So uh, buy your tickets. It's like, yeah, that's probably why you have no followers because you're not putting any content up that people have any interest in seeing. That's the thing. Although, also, I like the comment where he's like, I'm too busy. He wakes up every morning and he's like, ah, nothing again. It's jam-packed with nothing. <laughs> no, he wakes up every morning and he's got an 18-hour drive to the next hotel room to be in the middle of nowhere to do another stand-up show. Well, legitimately, he one of the jokes he made when I saw him was about being in Florida. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, and they made fun of my California license plate, which all I heard there was, you drove to Cal- to Florida from California? Jesus. Hop on a flight? <laughs> Jesus. But, um, yeah, he, he he has this delusion. He's not saying that I only have 2,000 followers on TikTok because uh, my career isn't going tremendously and I'm not a brand worthy of it. Like, look, at I have no TikTok followers. I, st- I kind of, I've started posting again a little bit, but I don't really. Because I realize that, A, I don't have an audience. <laughs> I don't have a tremendously sized audience and the little people, the few people that do listen to me aren't on TikTok. So I'm not sitting there thinking, Oh, if I only posted a year earlier, I'd have 11 million followers and I'd be Matt Reif. <laughs> I'm not delusional enough to think that, but that's where I think the delusion of that fan does exist. Yeah. TikTok was like the first app that I felt old because I, I just looked at it and I don't get how this works. I don't get it. I get it. I've started to get it more. It's just, I'm not, put it this way. Uh, last week, the episode of Why You Laughing was Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. I, no matter how Hackride spruces those up and makes them look nice, I don't know how many 18-year-olds are going to be like, ooh, Charlie Chaplin history, finally? And, yeah, if you <laughs> haven't listened. We if get you to have, learn about the art of silent film. Yeah, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, that was one of my favorites that we've ever done. Oh, good. yeah, go check it out. Um. But uh, here we have uh, Dat Fan talking about, you know, from what we've seen so far, comedy legend, this guy, uh, he decided to uh, start teaching the craft himself. Yeah. Yeah. Though, you know, much like uh, Richard Pryor and Sam <laughs> Kinison and the greats before him, he said, I, I now have ascended to such heights that I'd like to pass on some of my knowledge. So let's hear him talking about that. Now I'm trying to teach, but the thing is, I can't even have the students like meet them where I can't meet them at a comedy club. Right. I can't teach it. So now I can't even bring them to my home because we'll be in the same proximity. I don't right, know what right. they've been exposed to. So now, luckily for me, when I have spare time, I teach via Zoom like this, and it's great. I mean, I mean, it's not the same. And and this is what I'm gonna, I'm going to sound a little kooky. When I, because of my Shaolin Kung Fu background, when I trained in San Diego and I use Shaolin martial arts philosophy in my comedy, I teach energy transfer. I teach energy transfer through comedy. And I, and I do that when we're in the same room, but I can't teach transfers of energy very well through a screen. It's so so tough. And I hate listening to like 
uh, all these podcasts where comedians are, bi- it's, it's kind of been done to death where comedians just bitch about, I can't transfer my energy to the audience. That's <laughs> definitely what they're always focused on in comedy. Yeah. I like how he, he's uh for his standup. He's comparing it to martial arts, just basically muscle memory, just do the same thing over yeah. and over and over again. So you don't have to think about it. And in a way that's kind of bookended with the journal that he started his career with <laughs> where he's not focusing on the right things at the beginning of his career. It was this journal. Now he's moved on to transferring energies. Now, what most comedians call that is making the audience laugh, taking a <laughs> dull, dead energy and filling it with laughter. That's what you should be concerned with. But no, he's concerned about the you know metaphysics of it and the the psychology of it. And it's very, it's not what you should be thinking about. Hey, include that as your eighth or ninth thing eighth or ninth thing after you've made the audience laugh. Right. That's an option for sure. But it shouldn't be the first thing you're thinking about. And if you're teaching comedy, Godspeed, uh, whoever is uh, taking that comedy class. And we're going to break that down more on Blind Mike Project as well um, as we're recording this tomorrow, but it'll be already be up by the time you guys hear it. So check that out if, uh, if that interests you. Um, yeah, so... You know, he's uh, he's t- good for him. I guess he's making a living. I think he, he acts here and there. Um, he does stand up in various spots around the country and he teaches. It's if he's making a good living, more power to him. Terrific. Good for you, dad fan. It just seems like he's kind of portraying himself as something he isn't. And there is not that awareness that says like, ah. Maybe I fucked some of this up. Yeah, he's he's not he hasn't had the comedy career to uh you know be allowed to call it his craft. <laughs> no, when he hasn't had enough of his career that when he hears people laughing at other comics to be like remove them. <laughs> you know, That's, you know, I've I've dabbled in stand up, and every time I've gotten a laugh, I've never been like that guy needs to get the fuck out of this room. <laughs> yeah, listen. I respect uh, Shane Gillis enough that if he was like, hey, get this fat fuck out of here. You got it, sir. <laughs> I'm off. Roger Everyone else that. enjoy the show. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Um, uh, anything else? This is our last clip, and it's just uh, him doing stand-up. <laughs> I didn't want you guys to think I was busting his chops too much. You might say, Mike, we didn't hear a lot of his stand-up. How can we really judge it? So I figured, uh, here's a little more. Vietnamese people, it's hard. Now. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Hold on. All right. Let's reset. I wasn't, I, he caught me by surprise there. I wasn't expecting that. Oh, Dad, after all these years, you're finally going after the Vietnamese. Let's see what you have to say about them. Vietnamese people, it's hard now, right? Because all these other, you know, fucking Korea, they're uniting, fucking breakdancing and shit. My people, what do we have? Fucking nail salons. Oh, oh my right? God. Salons, see, Guys, I don't know if you can tell by the quality of the video. This is a few years later. <laughs> <laughs> this is significantly more recent. Yeah, fucking nail. If he says from the toes up or whatever, I'm going <laughs> to lose it. <laughs> nail salon still. Right? Every nail salon is see, It should be like win-win nails. N-G-U-I-N, right? Instead, it's it's some either something divine or it's like some type of battleship. It's so patriotic. Welcome to Angie's USA Nails. <laughs> Welcome to Angel Nails. Angel Rainbow North America SEAL Team 6 Cuban Latin Nails. Come inside. Like, what the fuck? Come inside. Vietnamese women are the best salespeople. They would torture you ladies and they would insult you at the same time. Have you seen this? I say you ladies, but it's fucking Asians in here. They're like, fuck you. <laughs> 
Come here, your hair look good, not on you. I fix it for you. Come inside. Come here. You're so beautiful, hunchback. Come here, I show you. I wax your eyebrow up. Your one eyebrow cyclops. Come inside. You X-Men mutant. Come inside. Holy shit. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot there. It's a, it's not relatable even to Vietnamese people because I don't think Vietnamese people are naming their nail salons. What was it? Iraq. Iraq. War. Kill Bin Laden, <laughs> SEAL Team 6, uh, Iraq War Nails. I've never run into those places, but I guess I'm not getting my nails done too often. I actually, so maybe- if I see a nail spot, it's usually win-win nails. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the place I frequent most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is is. It's not relatable. There's like with a lot of these guys, you can see that there's something. And this is what I said about Tom Myers too, where if if it were a cartoon and you could just crack them over the head and they wake up all of a sudden, they're a talented comedian. It's like they, they have something there where it's like just off. And if he could shake off this complete hackiness that he's coded with, maybe he'd have a career, but I think it's too. Now he's 48. I think it's too late at this point, but you know. Yeah, well, Tom, Tom Myers is like a few things away from he could probably do something. Well, Tom Myers could do something in the sense that if he was in on the joke, he's unique. Here's what Tom Myers is: he's uniquely bad. Correct. He's uniquely interesting. Yeah. Dad fan is not that. Like, if we're going to make fun of Dat Fan's material, we're not going to get a lot of episodes out of it because at a certain point we'll blow our brains out when he says Vietnamese for the 10,000th time. Yes. And here's what my mother would say to that. And I'll tell you, folks, it's going to be in a funny accent. So yeah. buckle up. Because if you take, like, the bong hit transplant joke, it's not a good joke, but I definitely... But it's amazing in so many ways. I did How not did see... Yeah, exactly. I did not <laughs> see that coming. Right. Yes, exactly. Tom Myers does not bring you exactly where you thought you were going. Where that fan, straight, it's a beeline. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beeline. To the straight name. as an arrow. <laughs> and and he has this kind of delusion about himself that he thinks everyone watched Last Comic Standing. No. It was a big it was a big show. It was on NBC, but it was on in the summer. You know? I've never watched I never it, watched an episode live. Yeah, it wasn't uh it wasn't Seinfeld, it wasn't Friends, you know? It was on NBC, but Correct. It wasn't their most historic program. And he says, he says something, um, I forget the exact context, but he says something at that show where he's talking about one topic and then he goes, I know, I know, you guys are just waiting for me to talk about my mom. And he kind of stops for applause as if we're going to go, Dad, will you please, pretty please talk about your mom? Talk about your dad. That's what we came here for. Talk about your dad one time. <laughs> But that might be interesting. Maybe he doesn't have a relationship with him. Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. Um, but he he says it like, you know, I know you guys are waiting for me to get to the seven dirty words. Okay, I gotta, <laughs> yeah. I got to talk about American politics for a while. What if I did? I got to talk about philosophy. What if I did my version of the machine for the next 58 minutes? Yeah. So. <laughs> I find that fan to be an interesting subject. I think we'll focus more on him on Blind Mike Project. It's probably more suited for that. But I do find Last Comic Standing and Dad Fan in particular to be an interesting point in the history of comedy. So I'm curious what you guys think. I'm curious if you like more episodes like this about obscure characters. And uh, you can let me know in the comments. Let me know on YouTube in the comments section. Let me know on Patreon. Tweet at me, whatever. Uh, You can find all those links and more at blindmike.net. 
Um, that's where you can find the Patreon if you want to subscribe and get bonus episodes, get these episodes earlier than the, the public. Uh, make sure you go to blindmike.net. All our links are there. We appreciate it. Appreciate the support. Thank you, guys. Um, constantly growing this podcast, so we'd like to keep it on that path, if you wouldn't mind. And uh, go check out a very good show. If you want Craig, if you want to hear all kinds of drops where they do uh, those kinds of accents that Dat Fan does, go listen to a very good show. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. Very good show dot org. Yeah, very good show dot org. Uh, check out the show for free. And if you like it, subscribe to the Patreon. Same, same as this program, if you wouldn't mind. And uh, I don't know. Anything else before we get out of here? Uh, I got nothing. All right, guys. We will talk to you next time on Why Are You Laughing? Zip it up and zip it out. Yeah.